Welcome to Deckert's LIBORcast, where industry leaders come to talk LIBOR transition. Welcome to today's edition of the LIBORcast. I'm Matt Hayes, I lead the SFX securitization team at Deckert and our LIBOR task force. This is the seventh in our series, and today I'm joined by SFA President Christy Leo. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today, Matt, um, for you and the Deckert team for, for having us speaking about such an important topic. Well, we're so glad you're here. And I guess to kick it off on a scale of nothing to see here to the end of the world, where does the LIBOR transition mark? Do you, do you expect the transition to be more chaotic over the next year? No, I guess on a scale of, of 1 to 10, it certainly is something that is a huge focus um, of the market. And I, I would say it, it's closer to the scale of 10. Um, you know, as far as if we don't do it correctly and do transition right, it really can be fairly um, disruptive to the financial markets. Um, just to put it in context, if you own a bond um, in your 401k or pension plan and it's floating rate, it's likely based off LIBOR. And when you receive your monthly payments, we need to know what you're moving to in order to get that monthly payment. So in worst case, you may not receive a monthly interest payment which could be very disruptive to the financial markets. That's worst case. That's what we're all striving to not happen. At the same time, what if you own a mortgage loan and it's based off of LIBOR, it's a floating rate mortgage loan, what payment do you make come to the beginning of 2022? And that's there's been a lot of work done and I think we're very well on track um, for a lot of contracts and moving them over, but there still is, and I think we'll get into this very uh, closely, there's still a lot of work to get done. So the, the regulators, for anyone who thinks that the work that has to get done, even though it's a lot, is not going to be that long, the regulators seem to keep reiterating the transition will occur at the end of 2021. So we're not getting an extension. It doesn't seem like there's any motivation to do that right now, despite the pandemic. Do you think there's any chance that it gets delayed, or should everyone continue to expect end of 2021? I think everybody has to plan for the end of 2021. You can't hope that the regulators might change that. They've been very clear that folks have to be prepared for that to be gone. Um, and I think the market is. I would say, looking back 18 months ago, 24 months ago, it was quite alarming how, you know, when you talk to different counterparties of how many people were actually working on it at that point in time. Today, I don't find that to be the case. People all know they need to. And, and obviously a big point of focus over this year has been COVID and has that delayed. I would say from our perspective here within um, the, you know, the counterparties we talk to, so investors, issuers, trustees, I think it depends on the size of, of the counterparty. So if it's a smaller um, servicer, if it's a smaller investment management firm, the same people that might've been working on LIBOR transition are now having to focus on COVID and the impact of COVID. And so that has made it a little difficult. You probably have seen some of the target dates, interim target dates as we reach to 2021 have been changed here in the U.S. as well as, you know, globally. But I, the, the end date still remains the same. And I think that they're certainly not going to push it back now. I think they feel like there's, there's still a lot to get done, but they, they still believe we can get there. And if not, they'll reassess it at that point. But at this point, they absolutely feel like we're, we're heading in the right direction. Maybe the optimistic note. It is. <laughs> we have SOFR too. There's obviously differences with LIBOR. Do those make the transition even more difficult? So I, I do. They are vastly different, as you mentioned, Matt. So let's start with the differences. One of the things is a SOFR is an overnight secured rate, whereas LIBOR was a rate that 
had terms to it. So meaning instead of just being um, overnight reflective of risk on an overnight basis, it was reflective of risk on a 30-day, a 90-day, and 180, depending on what you felt like you were trying to um, reflect in that product or in that hedging. So that's a difference, as well as the differences, as I said, I mentioned, LIBOR is unsecured, whereas SOFR actually reflected a secured rate. And uh, that difference um, really makes, uh, you know, some market participants feel like SOFR may not be the right product for them, I mean, the right rate for their product. And there are other rates being looked at besides just SOFR. Now, the vast majority of different capital markets are seeing SOFR as probably the right rate to move to. And there's a lot of effort to make sure that that rate has a, a lot of trades behind it, is building up that liquidity, as we call it here in the capital markets. But at the same time, there are other focuses around other rates for different products that people believe. And so to your point, <laughs> um, that is something that people are looking at and they're, they're moving forward. And I, I think, you know, if we look back five years from now, 10 years from now, Probably anyone's guess of how much of the product will be SOFR based versus a different rate, you know, will probably be wrong. But at the same time, what we have to do now is deal with our products today. And we have legacy products. And that's probably where I'm not going to sound as positive, Matt. When it comes to legacy transactions, there's a lot of work still to get done. And that is something that has been a huge focus over the last, you know, year. And it's going to continue to be, and I think it's going to run up right up into that time frame for us to get there. And when it comes to legacy, we really need to focus on one rate. A simple example that I often say is um, you have a mortgage, I have a mortgage. I'm sitting here in Colorado. You're in New York. What if you got transferred to one rate, I got transferred to a different rate, and all of a sudden our mortgage payments really varied? Um, it becomes very confusing to the consumer. And I think that's a real focus for all of us. In the same way, if we flipped it on its head and you owned um, you know, a mutual fund, and I did, and again, we had different rates for our products that we signed on to thinking was LIBOR, it really creates a lot of confusion. And ultimately, unfortunately, what we fear is a lot of lawsuits if we don't you know, all move to one rate and do it consistently in a way to ensure that there's not value transfer so that the consumers is back to a rate that they would have expected to have sort of consistently in the product they signed up for and the same thing for an investment product. Even within SOFR, there's no forward-looking term rate available right now. We need to get those transactions done to make the curve. Even daily simple SOFR, compounded SOFR as a fallback is dependent on the type of asset and transaction. Uh, you know, how do we reconcile all these different approaches? It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. And that, that has been probably a great deal of the focus. There are parts of the transition. They're very easy. So um, people often ask, well, how does this look versus Y2K? Operationally, Y2K, probably it was just broader. I mean, it was every single system. Ours is a financial system, which is not a small one. It's very important to the economy and it ripples through. But, you know, you had healthcare systems, you had nuclear systems. All of those need to be changed. So from that standpoint, Y2K, yeah, might have been more difficult. But from, I would say overall, I don't think they compare at all um, because we knew what the solution was for Y2K. We needed to move from two-digit year to a four-digit year. And so you knew what the solution was and you're bringing up exactly the point where it's difficult. What is the right replacement rate? And is that replacement rate something that could change over time? And I think that is something that the market is trying to, to grapple with and the way they've been looking at it is if 
it's not available, it's this rate. If it becomes available, it migrates to another rate. And I think with financial instruments from sophisticated parties, that's something we can walk through very easily, making sure we educate consumers to understand what their rate is day one and how it's changed is very important. And again, making sure that that rate is fair on legacy contracts. I think going in and educating somebody before they take a product is a much different scenario than when you're saying, hey, you signed on to LIBOR, you thought it was always going to be there, and now it's gone. And what are we moving to? And that's where, Matt, you're bringing up very, very important points. And I will tell you, as of like two years ago, everyone was like, why are we getting rid of LIBOR? We can't get rid of LIBOR. That, that's just unfortunately not an option. The regulators are saying it's not a rate we can depend on. It is not liquid enough. It is based on quotes. We want it to be based on actual transactions and we need to move. So we all are doing our best to find that right solution again to treat everybody fairly all the way across the system. There's a real fragmentation risk here, though, with all these different options. And do you think that some of the limitations we've talked about will cause other rates to be sought, like the Ameribor idea that we've seen or the bank yield index concept that we've seen. Are any of those viable, do you think, or should we really be putting all of our efforts around SOFR? I think those rates are absolutely potentially going to be viable. It's hard to say today, but they're, they're definitely um, positives about those rates for certain products. And again, I think of it on an ongoing basis. So with legacy, me personally, Christy Leo has, has, has concerns that, you know, today we're in a position where those rates don't have a lot of liquidity around them and they don't have a lot of history around them. And so the concern with legacy is that you move somebody to that rate and what if it doesn't move in a way you'd expect it to move? So I think it's, it's really important where we have SOFR, it's based on a lot of trades, a lot of trades for a long period of time. Um, and we can look at that. And I think that's where the market has been centering around SOFR when it comes to legacy. I think people are spending quite a bit of time around these other rates and potentially the value they could bring, but really at for new products. And it may not be even at beginning of 2021 for a lot of products. It might grow like at the beginning, it may be for very few products that they use, like for example, a Maribor, but maybe it grows in time. And I think what we're also gonna see is SOFR is also gonna develop. It'll develop term rates. And so it will provide different options as well. You know, obviously SFA is a, a member organization and, and you have conversations with members. Well, what are they saying right now? Are they ready for this? Do you think that they're just working through it? Uh, great question. I would say on all transactions, they're working their way through it. It is the one work stream that we get the most counterparties across the widest um, swath of our membership. Folks absolutely are engaged and I would encourage them if they're not both with SFA, but also the ARC, which is an industry group we work very closely with. Um, it's being facilitated by the Fed. You know, if people are working through us, we're providing that feedback back to the ARC, but also their involvement directly in the ARC is always a positive. And so I, I think people are engaged. Um, our members, what they're saying, again, when it comes to new transactions, they're making their way through it. They do still have concerns about some of the points that were raised about how comparable are these rates for you know what they're thinking they want to do? Are there other rates that in the future they would prefer to move to at a, at a later date? Legacy, there's a lot of concern in our market. Our market, as you know, Matt, it's a bit more complicated than a lot of products. A lot of products are two counterparties. 
And if they want to choose to change today from LIBOR to SOFR, but then they decide a year in, they want to change to something else, they can get on the phone. They can make that decision between the two of them. Um, even if it's five banks, they can easily get five folks in line. Our market, a lot of transactions are widely distributed. There's a lot of different investors out there and getting them all on the phone with the trustee, with the sponsor and issuer of that bond and coming to the same decision is difficult. And it's more difficult from just getting them all in the same place. And what's difficult even more so the overlapping is these contracts, as you well know, have varying language in it. So people unanimously agree that it was not contemplated that LIBOR would ever go away. So there's typically language in there that's called fallback language, but it's really only to address a temporary disruption. So there has been, after 9-11, LIBOR wasn't quoted for a day or two, but there's ne it's always really been quoted on a long-term basis for decades now. And people just didn't contemplate it. As we often look back at documents, when all of a sudden a situation came up, we scratch our heads and we're like, did we really not think of that? Um, it's like, of course we didn't. And so that's where trying to marry, how are we supposed to transition and what to, and what was the agreement? if there was an agreement. And so the ARC, as well as SFA and many trade associations and organizations have been trying to center around how do we address this? And the focus to date has been around a legislative solution. The legislation would essentially say, if your contract reads like this, you move to that, unless the parties agree differently. And so there's always the opportunity for the parties to sit within the transaction themselves to say, no, we want something different. But to the extent it reads like this, it goes to that. And, you know, the New York state legislation, I think, is a solution for a lot of products and a lot of contracts. It isn't something that covers everything. And so that was something we always knew going into it and was always uh, a view that we would have to do additional legislative work. And simply contract that's not based in New York, it's not governed by New York, would obviously be one example of something that's not covered by New York, and that's a gap by New York, a solution. COVID has clearly put that solution back from a timeline perspective. Legislators in New York have other focus points today. They have been dealing with the pandemic. They've been dealing with budgetary um, constraints because of it. LIBOR, I, I, you know, it's something important to lawmakers and as you talk to them, but it's just not going to get the priority this year. We were hoping to have that legislation passed and talking to members of Congress and passed um, this year and honestly by the middle of this year. And as we were all talking, this clock is ticking and 2021 is not that far away, the end of 2021. And today, I think we would all say that the potential of that getting done, given the legislative calendar in New York this year, is pretty low. And so everyone's looking to next. That creates real concern because you can never be for sure legislation is going to go through. The lawmakers need to go through it. We feel like it's a great solution. We believe that a lot of people are supporting it. We see that from the markets, but still it has to happen. So that has created in the last you know six months, I think just a huge amount of concern within our market about what are we going to do about legacy. And there's been a growing call to look at other options as well. And one of those is a federal legislation and to look at it at a federal level. And so there, there has been more and more discussion about looking at alternatives just because the clock's running out. So that heads back to our original question, which you asked, which was like, will this clock stay the same? 
I still think it will because you have other governments in the UK. You have European Commission also looking at a legislative solution at the federal level for tough legacy. So they haven't chose to say, let's move the timeline back because of tough legacy. But instead, what they've said is, let's find a different solution for tough legacy. These deals where the contracts are difficult to figure out how to move forth. And there's a lot of parties involved and you can't get them all in the room to make a decision together. So I think the U.S. is going to be similar. I think they're going to say, we need to find a different solution versus just saying, let's move the timeline back. For those that aren't paying attention, what do you tell them? Should they be paying attention? Or do you have them covered? Uh, nothing to see here, really? <laughs> or <laughs> just wait for it to all coalesce? No, I actually, I, I never am one who tells um, folks just to wait. We've got it covered. We've got, you know, X percent of the market in the dialogue. Don't worry. We need all the voices in. One of the great things about, you know, SFA is the expertise of our membership and, and the broad um, perspective they bring, be it from the legal expertise, like you, Matt, and the team, or be at, you know, the uh, investors, you know, you have different types of investors, you have different size of investors, you have different portfolios, the same as the trustees, they're in a different position, they're in a position oftentimes of legally being responsible for choosing to make that payment. So what are they supposed to do? But they're supposed to do what the contract says. And we just talked about it. The contract never contemplated it. So they're stuck in a position. And it'd be easy if they could get everybody in a room. But like I talked about, it's difficult to do that. And we could talk about that for hours of why it's difficult. But unfortunately, it is a fairly insurmountable hurdle. So there are things that the trustees are thinking about doing as alternative solutions as well, as means to try to get those folks in a room. But it, it's not easy, and it likely centers around in a courtroom. So I would say voices are important. If you manage a contract, you're an investment manager, or if you have a mortgage loan, I think those are all things that you should have a voice in it and um, get involved. We're certainly here at SFA and the ARC are leading that effort and finding a place that people can come together and facilitate that dialogue. What I, would, I guess the summary would be, don't complain after the fact if you didn't raise your voice with what you get. <laughs> Seems like good advice. So hopefully everyone, well, those maybe who are listening already are already engaged. But uh, for those who aren't, I definitely recommend getting engaged. <laughs> I would almost um, say I sounded like a 2020 voting. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> get out and vote. <laughs> Don't complain right. after the fact if you didn't vote. Exactly. Um, yeah. So we're seeing the, the GSEs on the cusp of lending based on SOFR in the primary market. Do you think other participants will be early adopters of SOFR or are they just going to rely on hardwired fallbacks and see what happens when LIBOR ends? Yeah, what I would say, first of all, is the GSEs really do. And, and I have to compliment their leadership and also the FHFA in supporting that leadership, their regulator. It's a little easier for them when it comes to legacy transactions. <laughs> They're their own trustee, as I mentioned. So, and they are in conservatorship with the U.S. government. So when your regulator tells you to do something, it, it's a lot easier to feel that comfort of not being in a courtroom down the road with somebody challenging you. But that leadership still, even on operational issues, on issues of uh, when you get into the weeds, of, we, we know we've been talking about what reference rate you move to. But what's the formula you use off that reference rate to calculate the interest payment? And, and, and that part of it, I think they've done a terrific job. And um, I, I hope they continue to show that leadership. 
Will other people implement early when it comes to issuing product, for example, mortgages or student loans and moving to a different rate away from um, LIBOR? I do. I do think you're going to start to see other folks start to do that. We've always seen in our market, I'm going to throw Ford out there. Ford is often not on this issue. Um, They don't issue nearly as many floating rate products, but they often are a leader and someone's got to jump out there. And I think FHFA and Fannie Mae, FHFA, along with the GSEs, have done a great job of taking the first step, but you always need this private market. So the banks as well, when you look at the corporate bond market, banks have been going out and starting to issue SOFR-based bonds, and we will see that continue. You need the leadership often of larger institutions to start, starts to see the liquidity build in the market, other people become more confident. So we will see that. We'll see it across the board on consumer products, but also on bonds and the bond market and across derivatives. So, um, and, and we've been quite pleased with how it's been developing, even with regards to the pandemic. Even with that overlay of it, we've been seeing nice movement in that market. The current recommendation is to put hardware fallbacks in documents. Does that kind of give you a comfort blanket as, a, as an investor issuer, you know, sponsor uh, in a transaction by having that clearer fallback than just the, you know, pull banks or, or something that's very uncertain that's kind of in legacy contracts so that you actually have a switch when LIBOR ends to have a, a viable SOFR-based product at that point? you think that'll be effective? I do think it's more effective than having nothing. <laughs> Putting it in the bucket of legacy that I just talked about, the issues we have there, if you continue to use like language of polling banks, the banks that have been polling at the LIBOR level have said they're not going to continue to do it. And so the idea that then you're going to go to those banks on a private basis and ask them for a quote versus them providing it to a regulated entity, probably not going to happen if they're not going to quote it at that level. And then if you want to go to some banks other than those banks, I just don't see them taking that on either. So if it's not, it's beyond the reference rates. So that's where you need to have some language in there. Now, some of what the fallback language is doing is providing some flexibility where ultimately it looks to determining party. So if this is not available, then you move to X and it's very prescriptive and the market has been fairly consistent that they want it to be prescriptive. So people know, but at the end of the line, there's if those don't work, then someone decides. And that way we don't end up in the same situation we're in right now where everyone goes, what are we supposed to go to? You have a very clear goal. Now, different parties may question what that right, you know, prescriptive waterfall uh, of cascades of what you move to, if this, if not, then that. And I think that's something that was developed. I mean, the ARC fallback language that they put out as a best practice has always been something that's been developed by the industry. And we see things move and evolve. And I do expect to see it move and evolve as new rates do come around, be it term rates under SOFA or otherwise. So you have to put something in. It's not good to leave the contract. You know from day one it's flawed. That's not the route to go. Clearly, you know, you may have looked back and go, I wish I would have picked that <laughs> instead of this. But you went in full knowing what you were getting. And that, that's important in a contract. You need to know what you're signing on to. So we've talked about the ARC a little bit. How has SFA worked with the ARC and and is it exploring further coordination or collaboration? Yeah, yeah, no, like I said, I've been 
the leadership at the ARC, um, both on the Fed side of being a facilitator through David Bowman as the main contact there, and then Tom Whiff is the current chair uh, um, from Morgan Stanley is the current chair of the ARC. We think they've done a, a tremendous job at the scope of what um, they've taken on. And SFA specifically has been involved with the ARC pretty much fairly early on when they started to move to how are we implementing it into different products. And we've been the chair of the securitization working group since its establishment. And so we work very closely and lead that effort on the securitization side, along with Crefsi, who's our co-chairs on that. But we also, a year ago, became a member of ARC. And that provides us the ability to actually vote on behalf of our members when they're looking at putting best practices out, for example. And so we really stay close to all the different developments. Clearly, when it comes to products that are far outside and don't impact securitization at all, we're looking to the other experts within ARC. But when it comes to securitization or anything that could impact its securitization, we have a fairly vocal voice. And it's important for us, given the extent of our market that we represent. And that's where it's very important to get involved with us, where I, you asked earlier about voices. We need to know what folks are thinking so that when, when we're providing that voice back to the ARC, we're not leaving any voices out. And, you know, as this has developed, often people are looking at the contracts and again, on the legacy side, and they're like, oh my gosh, we didn't think about X. So, I, I mean, nobody wants to sit back and, and, you know, we move forward in 2021. We all think we wiped the sweat off our brows and we kind of got there. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> so that's why I said get involved. Definitely get involved with us. And, you know, and in addition to the ARC, we're involved with a lot of other efforts as well on the LIBOR transition and try to work with all the different trades and industry groups, um, as well as we've been educating Capitol Hill legislators there to just let them know this is coming and what it creates. And, and we've been doing the same with the regulators and been spending a lot of time with them. So there's just, this is a joint effort from everyone and it does require the legislative and regulatory help as well. So uh, turning into the prognostication here, um, ah. do you think that New York legislation will be passed uh, anytime soon? If I actually had to, which I'm not, I would say this year, um, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to be difficult. A lot of groundwork is going to be made this year in having those conversations, and it has already been happening. But I think the more likely time, given the calendar for New York legislation, is next year, and it'll probably be like springtime. But again, we're a strong believer that you know New York is only a solution for a portion of the contracts within our market, and we need to find other solutions for others. And we're proactively... Um, working on those now. So again, I would say to the listeners who do have any involvement within securitization markets, get on the phone. We're absolutely going to be taking other paths as well on legacy to make sure that we have a fulsome solution across the market. And the second prognostication question is term SOFR. What do you think of the probability of that? I think it will happen. It will definitely happen. Time-wise, not for sure. There's a lot of priorities, and that's certainly a priority for a lot of a, a lot of folks. But there's so many other things that have to happen as well. But it will happen. There's a demand in the market to have a term sofer, and that's what you start with. If there was no demand for it, I would tell you I don't, I'm not sure. If it was just a regulatory, maybe it's nice to have, maybe not. But there are folks every day that are like, we need term sofer. So um, it will be created. If there's a demand, it will happen. 
Well, that concludes our program for today. Thank you very much for joining us today. I really well, appreciate the insight. Yeah, no, thank you very much for having me. I know you guys have also acted as a leadership when it comes to LIBOR transition to your clients, but also the broader market. Thank you for all you've done. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. If you're interested in learning more about the LIBOR transition, join our LIBORcast channel where we will interview leading market figures, including regulators, trade organizations, rating agencies, and advisors. Really appreciate your time, Chrissy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.